it's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Yo, and we are back with another episode of On The Clock. Today we have a super special guest for you, my pal Kyle Krabs, who is the co-founder of the Draft Network and the host of Locked On Dolphins. Kyle, my man, how are you? I'm doing great, Brett, and I'm looking forward to catching up, uh, talking a little bit of ball here, and uh, really diving in on uh, some of my favorite storylines uh, from this draft class, which is a unique one in plenty of ways, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that here today on the show. So I'm excited. Heck yeah. Kyle, one of the things I love about your takes is I know we got to spend a significant amount of time together a few years ago when our pal Joe Marino was getting married, and we kind of picked each other's brain on our scouting process. And yeah. I think out of all the people I've talked to in the space, your process was the most similar to mine. So I've always had a pretty high affinity for what you do and, and, and your takes and how you get to the conclusions you get to. I think it's a really solid process. Well, and, and that's really what it has to be about, right? Is just you, you have to, because you're not going to bat a thousand and you're probably going to bat around 500 with every opinion you ever have. So <laughs> is the is the process of coming to those decisions sound logical and rooted in uh, good information? And if the answer there is yes, just know you're never going to see the complete picture <laughs> And you did your best. You had good process. So that is uh, what I aspire to have with everything is at the very least good process. And if the uh, result is good as well, then that's uh, the icing on the cake and the cherry on top. And, and we'll cherish those opportunities when they come. Absolutely, man. Well, sweet. So that said, let's just jump right into it. So for the listeners, we, we have this usual format we do where I have a guest bring me a guy they're higher on than most, a guy they're lower on than most. And usually I try to pick a fight with them for the third guy. But this time I had Kyle uh, bring somebody to the table. He wants to see a team player fit. Somebody wants to pound the table for a specific player to a specific team. So we're going to dive into all three of those. And we're going to kick it off with Alabama defensive back Brian Branch. And Kyle, I call them a defensive back because the man mm-hmm. has some utility to his game. Hit me, Kyle. What do you, what do you love about Brian Branch? Because I'm in full agreement here. Well, you say utility, and I think that's a great word to invoke off the top with Brian because he can play safety and he can play in the slot. And there's some people that seem to think he can play corner. And, you know, that that level of versatility is just invaluable in today's game with all of the week to week challenges that you're going to get with different personnel groupings, different body types, different ideologies to, to, attack a defense and and you as a defender having to defend an offense and being somebody who can live in the box or somebody who can tackle in space on the perimeter or somebody who could play coverages in zone over the middle of the field. And then you put in the third down skill set that he has as a potential pressure player and how, he, how good he is in instances when he's called upon to, to be an add on onto a, a pass rush. There's just so much you can do with this player. That versatility, but he's not the Isaiah Simmons positionless player, you know, and he's a safety. And we've seen plenty of these Alabama safeties that have this role in the defense, have successful transitions to the pro game. 
And they've done so in different ways. You think about Xavier McKinney versus Minka Fitzpatrick, right? They're different mm-hmm. players at the NFL level, but they all illustrated this same level of versatility at Bama. And I think Branch is just next in line. Um, I, I think if you don't factor in for positional value, he's one of the 10 best players in this class. I think there's very little that he's not physically capable of doing on the football field for you. I totally agree with that. The thing that stands out for me, Kyle, is his willingness to live on his instincts. I mean, his, his instincts are freaking incredible. And and I mean, he, he I would say he does take some gambles at times, but he's almost never wrong. It's 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 absurd. Some of the plays he's made. I'm sure, I mean, the, we've got the viral interception he made where he jumps the flat route. Um, I forget what game that was, but we've seen that that clip on Twitter like 7,000 times. But it's an incredible play. But that's just a, a microcosm of what his game looks like on the whole. Yeah, and you know that aggressiveness and, and quick twitch factors also into attacking like perimeter screens and, and throws where he's tackling receivers one-on-one in space and beating a block in the process. And, and I think that's what, when you roll down on the slot – and they, they try and crack down on you with the the perimeter receiver and they try to run the bubble and you can run through that or you can run over top of that, but you can gauge that in real time. That's a player that th- those kinds of reps give you a certain level of confidence about his ability as a fit in the gap count for defending the run on the outside. And we know that's the kinds of things that offenses want to do, right? They want to force your DBs to tackle with consistency and somebody who can be a dime backer, but can also play in two high shells and then can be out in the slot and have that kind of success tackling at the line of scrimmage. You know, that, that that's an every down player in every sense of the word. And I have a hard time seeing a world where Brian branch isn't a three down player who plays effectively 100% of your snaps defensively because whether you're in dime, base, or nickel, like he's going to be somewhere and he's going to fit because he's shown that at Alabama. So I'm glad you mentioned the instincts because obviously that's something that pops with me as well. And uh, I, I just think that the discussion with Branch will be fascinating because predictively, safeties have been a group that hasn't seen the bump yet as far as right. getting drafted. You know, you, you think about... Guys like Antoine Winfield Jr. not going in the first round. Javon Holland not going in the first round. Like there's good safety. Xavier McKinney, who we mentioned, there's good safeties every year that aren't big long types and they don't go early in the draft. And I don't know if it's because, well, we want to live in too high shell world more and more frequently now to prevent explosive plays. And and we don't feel like that skill set is as valuable or it's easier to find or what, but a guy like this who can do so much, if he doesn't go in the first 20 picks, I don't I don't know what you yeah. gotta do to be a safety that's just six foot one ninety and, and get drafted high anymore. I just don't know. I feel you on that. I'm glad you brought that up because I mean, even last year, Kyle, like uh Kyle Hamilton went probably later than people expected him to go. Mm-hmm. You had the the Michigan kid, Dax Hill go later. I mean, he I had a firm first round grade on him. He goes tail end of the first round. Lewis seen, I had a solid first round grade on him. He goes last pick of the or second yep. last pick of the first round. It's just you, you really haven't seen that bump. So I guess the question I have for you is could he get a little bit of a bump because he might have more of that slot corner versatility where a team maybe a team identifies him as a guy who can play in the slot 60% of the time, 70% of the time, 
depending on you know what kind of you know three safety looks they like to deploy. You would think so, but that's another position that <laughs> hasn't gotten the bump yet either. You know, it's traditionally your your nickel corners is oh well that that's a day two player and. Well, I think I think Dax Hill is a, a good name to invoke here for a player who played in the nickel, played safeties, a little bit more of a true free, single high free safety at times as a high post player. Um, I don't know. I, I think about Buda Baker in Arizona, and Buda yeah. coming out of Washington was not a first-round pick. So I could see this thing folding both ways. I can see, uh, I think, acknowledging this draft class for what it is, I think there's probably three or four blue, legitimate blue chip caliber players at the top of the draft that that are firm top 10 valuations. And then you've got all of the quarterbacks and a handful of offensive linemen. But I think you get outside of that, I think this does set up to be the kind of class in which Brian Branch does go in the top 20 or top 25, whether that's Detroit or Tampa Bay with them having a bunch of expiring contracts in the secondary or Green Bay with Darnell Savage kind of taking a step backward. Like there, there's plenty of teams and landing spots there in the back end of the top 20 that, that I can point to and say this would be a sensible fit. So I think that paired with this class gives me hope that it happens, but I don't know just because yeah. there, there seems to be this stigma on this kind of player. Yeah, I, I totally understand. I, from a, a Detroit guy perspective, if if they got him at 18 somehow, Kyle, that's like a slam dunk. He's probably the one thing they're missing more than anything. I know they need outside corner help as well, but like that that instincts player to to be in the middle of that defense would be awesome. To pair him with Kirby Joseph would just be such a home run, man. Yeah. Um, is there another team that you think really, really, you know, should start considering him in that those early teens, maybe even earlier than that, 10, 11, 12, 13, something like that? Man. So Houston just took a player in Jalen Petrie that can kind of do some of the same stuff. I think Branch is a better player than Petrie. Um, So I can cross Houston off the list. Tennessee at 11. The Jets at 13. The Patriots at 14. Maybe. I mean, are the Patriots going to keep running six safeties out there every week? Like, I know they got your Bill Peppers and, and McCourty is expiring contracts, so maybe there's a little bit of room there. Like, um, I know I mentioned Green Bay at, at 15. That really feels like the sweet spot, that that stretch of from Green Bay down through, I don't know, even, even Seattle at 20, I think yeah. could be a decent fit. I think there's there's probably like four of those five teams in that stretch really feel like the sweet spot for Brian Branch. If I look at his role, opportunity in those respective teams, other personnel that they have, and then just actual valuation of the first round of this year's class. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, all of that spot on. Let's move on to a guy that you're a little bit lower on than I would say consensus. I don't, I don't even know how much you pay attention to consensus. I was talking to – other guys in the business about this and it, it seems like the more you've been in this for a decade now you probably don't pay a whole lot of attention to other people's opinions but i'm sure you check occasionally so um that said let's get into tennessee offensive tackle darnell Wright, and you are wearing tennessee orange right now kyle i am i am so. yeah so um <laughs> had, had to, to give a little bit of love as we talk about the questions that i have with, with darnell uh what's funny is i i generally don't read 
I've become so conditioned to kind of operate within my process, not overextend myself as far as seeing what other people think and feel. And every once in a while, you'll get on the timeline and you, you'll see everybody's going off about one person's opinion and I have no idea who said it or anything like that. So let's <laughs> kind of take catalog of those instances. Uh, but Darnell, I think it was DJ, Daniel Jeremiah, uh, had Darnell, I think, in the first round of a mock. And that, for me, was where I kind of picked up like, oh, okay, like I like Darnell Wright as a day two offensive lineman. He's a little in between for me. Obviously, he's got the stature of an offensive tackle. But you look at his movement skills, and I think from a movement skills perspective, he's probably better suited inside a guard. So now you kind of have this conflict of movement skills versus leverage and playing inside at guard. And you've seen guys who aren't super fleet of foot who can live on on the right side of the offensive line and tackle and survive there anyway. But I, I know the, the the buzz and kind of the resume game for Darnell Wright is, oh, look what he did to Will Anderson in the Alabama game. And that's fine, but Tennessee went tempo and caught Will Anderson when Alabama was running drop eight inside of the 4-I for significant portions of the game. And I, I really could not care less. I'm sorry about anything Will Anderson does as a four eye because he's not going to live in that world in the NFL. So they're not, they're not translatable reps when, when Will Anderson is on your inside shoulder and you're stonewalling him in protection. I don't care. Like, that's not valuable to me. So that's the thing with Darnell Wright that I think everybody, when they have the discussion around him as a player, that's the first thing they point to. But when I actually went through and watched the game, yeah, there were some reps where he showed really good hand strength and clampability and when he got his hand set, he was really good with functional strength and anchoring. But the angles in which he was getting tested for significant portions of that game aren't where I have the questions about the angles that he's going to have to face in the NFL. Yeah, what you just said about the catching Anderson, you know, in the drop eight scheme with the tempo. That wasn't just a, a theme in the Alabama game. They did that to everybody. Mm-hmm. If you stacked up your top 20 tackles right now, Kyle, I guarantee you Darnell Wright saw more drop eight looks than any other tackle in this class. Not to mention the RPO game they run in t- Tennessee, right. that tempo. So when By the time you remove all those from the sample, and obviously there, there are good reps in there. You can't just throw them out. But point being, the amount of translatable true pass sets this guy has at the college level is minuscule compared to the rest of his, you know, the guys in this class with him. Um, may, maybe uh, Harrison from Oklahoma, you know, is similar in that regard. But for the most part, I mean, Wright really was in a favorable scheme for for his skill set. And I, I think you're right. I think he's probably better inside at tackle with his movement skills. He does have great length, though, right, Kyle? He, he's got prototypical length. So that, that again, is the struggle. It's, okay, what's what's yeah. the strike time and quickness going to be like on the inside where mm-hmm. the angles are shorter and you have to get set quicker effectively? You know, it's it's less about reactive yeah. quickness and taking the air out of pass rushes and, and closing the angles down and then protecting your inside from two-way goes, and it's more you, you got to be on it now. So I, I'm glad you mentioned Anton Harrison. I have him ranked 30th right now, and Darnell Wright for me is 85. So there, there's a yeah. decent separation there between those two guys. And uh, 
the other name that I thought about that I struggle with with how much drop eight that he saw was was last year with Charles Cross. But I think the difference yep. between Anton Harrison and Charles Cross, who obviously played in Mississippi State and they got drop eight all the time, is the athletic profiles. Where I don't think Darnell Wright has the athletic profile of an Anton Harrison or a Charles Cross that gives me the same level of confidence that, yes, he saw drop eight, and yes, he got four eyes, and yes, he had to set inside and and squeeze more than he had to fan out. But the movement skills of those guys, when they do fan out, you know they have the reactiveness and the quickness and the fluidity to be able to pin back inside if somebody tries to work back underneath of you. I, I just don't know with Darnell Wright. It feels like there's times where his lower half gets left behind on some of his blocks, And if you think about tackling speed off the edge in those instances, you're going to have to be flawless with your sets. And I just don't think that the reps are there just yet for that transition to be a particularly smooth one for him. I think he could be an adequate starting offensive lineman. Yeah. I just don't think it's going to happen right away. And I have some questions about whether he's going to be inside or outside. Yeah. Another name to throw at you too in that regard is uh, Christian Derisaw. Um, Yeah. he, He had less than like 150 true pass sets in college which is crazy when you actually think about it. Um, but obviously that all the athletic traits were there and, and there, you know, there's teams, plenty of teams willing to bet on that. And he's turned out to be a, an okay pro. Um, just kidding. He's, he's very good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I agree with your, your takes on Darnell. I, I kind of view him as a, a guy you're probably drafting and, and trying to develop a little bit, figure out where his best spot is. And maybe he gets on the field in year two. Um, or back end of year one. I just don't see him as a guy you're drafting and, and, and plugging in and playing like right away. But we've seen, we've seen worse players started in year one than Darnell, right? That's for sure. Right. And they, they go, <laughs> they go a lot earlier than why I have him ranked too. Like I, yeah. I would not be surprised in a world where he does go top 50. Yeah. It's just that, especially if, he, if a run goes right. If you see all through the teens with the, the jets and the Patriots and potentially the Packers and the Steelers and, the Jaguars, if they, if if they let Jawan Taylor go, I mean, you, you start doing the math on what the tackle run could look like. Kansas City potentially, if they opt to lose one or both of their tackles in free agency, I don't think they'll let both of them go. But you start doing the math, and okay, now you got Bergeron's in this discussion to to go a little earlier. And uh, I certainly think there's a world where a team could potentially trade up to go get Darnell Wright to prevent missing out on the run altogether. So I think that's a fascinating element of how the earlier portions of this draft will domino effect down to Darnell Wright and where he ultimately is drafted. And there is a there's a certain point too where the tackle market dries up very fast in this draft. Yes. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. And he might actually be the the stopper there. <laughs> like once you get past him, him, where are you at on like Jalen Duncan? Maryland tackle. So, I I like Jalen. I wish Jalen had taken a little bit of a bigger step forward this year. Uh, Darnell Wright is is my cliff. By the okay. by the way, I yeah. have uh, Paris Johnson, <laughs> Peter Skaronsky, Broderick Jones, Dewan Jones, Anton Harrison, all top thirty two, and then I have Duncan and Bergeron between thirty two and fifty, and then I have Darnell Wright at eighty five, and after yep. that, it's a cliff. See you later. So, <laughs> right. So, I, 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 we we literally invoked what six or seven of these names as potential like first round guys. So yep. that that gets to be very scary if you're a tackle like thirsty team. 
Um, but as far as Duncan, obviously the Ohio State game and the end of the Ohio State killed him because that was the big hallmark showcase and Zach Harrison tagged him twice at the end of the game to lose the game. Um, but I liked what he did down in Mobile. I thought he helped himself by playing on both sides of the line, left and right tackle and showcased that he, he looked pretty fluid. Um, Maryland hasn't had a ta- an offensive lineman drafted since like 2018. Whew. I think Der- Derwin Gray was the last Maryland offensive lineman drafted. He was drafted in the seventh round. So uh, Duncan will put an end to that. I, I like him better than Wright. Uh, he's right there in that block with like Harrison and Bergeron for me is like probably the tier three of top 100 tackles in this year's class. That's awesome. All right, so that was offensive tackle Darnell Wright from Tennessee. We're going to move on to uh, a special fit that Kyle sees with Luke Musgrave, tight end from Oregon State. Now, Kyle, we've talked about Musgrave a lot on this podcast specifically, actually, and a lot on my other one because I'm I'm a huge fan of Musgrave. And I think, especially with Kincaid not working out in Mobile, there's a sneaky chance, Kyle, he works himself into this tight end one conversation if he goes and blows it out like I think he's going to. Um but you have him as you like his fit in Jacksonville a lot, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I mocked in the only mock I've done so far, I, I gave them Dalton Kincaid. Yep. And so I see, I see the tight end need. I see this as being a, a huge opportunity for them. I love Musgrave. So hit me, tell me what you like about Musgrave and tell me why it works in Jacksonville. Yeah. So M- Musgrave, obviously just this enormous human being that can absolutely fly. He comes out in Mobile and tells us he felt slow on the first day of practice, and he was like the first tight end in four years with Zebra technology to crack 20 miles per hour on the gun. Like, and that's feeling slow, okay? So he only played in two games this year, obviously missed time. So you, you have to acknowledge and embrace that there's a little bit of a, a leap of faith here that needs to be taken. But I'm watching his movement skills all week long in Mobile, uh, I'm watching how physical he is. You can see his opportunities to play on the line of scrimmage. And what I love about that potential fit with Jacksonville is, is we all know Doug Peterson in Philadelphia and how much he loved his two tight end sets with Ertz and Godert and, and what they were able to do. And you have Evan Ingram who signed him for agency this past year and was a rousing success for the team. He probably had a career year, if we're being honest. I don't know off the top of my head if he set career numbers across the board. But um, – and then you you add the dynamic there with Musgrave being a more true inline type of player. So you have these complementary skill sets, but they're both dynamic players. They're both big body players. And I just really feel like Doug Peterson would get a lot of run out of those contrasting skill sets together. And you're not sacrificing anything from a receiving capability standpoint this is not a, a zone buster who's going to sit down in soft spots in zone and that's it, right? Like right. this is a player you feel like can play and defeat man coverage. He can win away from man coverage. He's got strong hands, but then he's what Evan Ingram's not as the player who can be your why and put his hand in the dirt and help you win in the run game as well. So I just think about Doug and two tight end sets and what you have in Ingram and what he can be. And I think he's, he's bigger and more physical than Kincaid but he's more dynamic than Michael Mayer. So that all-encompassing blend for me is the selling point that gets me really excited, and I hope we get to see it. I love it. So the objection for most people on Musgrave is 
just sample size isn't there. He played just over a thousand snaps in four years of college football. For comparison, Maher played over three thousand. You know, so like yep. the sample size is very small. But if there's a single position in the NFL to absolutely just sell out for the traits, it's tight end. It's, it's analytically speaking, like ninety percent of tight ends with a thousand yard season in the NFL are tested as elite athletes. And we know Musgrave is absolutely that. Just look at the names of like guys who have taken the NFL by storm. Antonio Gates, Jimmy Graham came from freaking basketball. Travis Kelsey was a great athlete, not a not a refined player coming out of college. He is that now, of course. Right. Uh, Gronk, like they drafted him in the second round on seventy five career catches and like less than six hundred snaps. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Darren Waller, you know, transitioning from wide receiver to tight end. So this is an athlete position. If you want a true math changer uh at the position like you got to get a guy with you know extraordinary athleticism and that's not to say that Kincaid's not a good athlete or or Myers is not even a good I don't think he's the has the explosiveness of Musgrave but I think Musgrave's a whole nother level of athlete and that's that's why I'm just willing to sell out for this guy I think the the zebra technology story you told was was hilarious because I, I did hear that secondhand and also he was like the fourth fastest skill player in mobile as a 260 pound tight end right ridiculous i mean that is utterly ridiculous so and i love it i i think the the explosiveness here he, he, from a build perspective he almost reminds me of this is a little bit of a throwback uh but jordan cameron out of usc Ooh. uh 2011 so he was six five and a quarter 255 pounds he ran a four five three with a 37 and a half inch vert, a 10 foot broad, 6823 cone drill, like all elite numbers at 255. And that that's kind of the the build. And Cameron peaked in Cleveland. I think he was just short of a thousand yards, and injuries kind of derailed his his career from ever really living up to that full potential. But well, that's from a body type perspective, that's the guy that when I look at that's the player that I see is that yeah. kind of player. And it's a shame we didn't get to see what, what that would have looked like. But I'm glad that you mentioned athletic profile uh, for tight ends, because it is something that you have to have a tangible. And, and I think I saw Kent Platt mention this recently, because he did a whole project about NFL rosters versus their relative athleticism scores. Mm-hmm. Tight end is the position that below average athletes are getting drafted more than any other position in the NFL draft over this recent sample size, in spite of the fact that the strongest correlation between elite players and elite athleticism is like the tight end position. So make heads or tails of it. I don't know if you can, but this is a guy I would absolutely bet on um, if you are comfortable with the lack of sample size, like has been mentioned. Yeah, the 90% stat I cited was a, a Kent LaPlatt stat. He will be on the pod next week recapping combine events, too. So that's a, that's a nice uh, that's a good unintentional get. plug there, Kyle. Good so, <laughs> yes. Kent's a good dude, so he does great work. Yes, sir. Um, cool. Before we wrap this, Kyle, I do need to do a quick live read. I forgot to do it earlier, so we're going to do it right now. But, hey, listen, if you're an, a fantasy football player, you know that – the fantasy world never stops. The 2022 NFL season is over, but the fantasy football season is just beginning on underdog fantasy. The easiest place to play fantasy football right now. You can draft an underdogs, the big board tournament with a million dollars in total prizes, including a 200 K first place. 
You think you know which rookies are going to burst onto the scene in 2023? If so, now is your chance to draft them at a value. All you have to do is join the big board, draft your fantasy team, and that's it. It's best ball, so there's no waivers, there's no trades. You get the best scores in your starting lineup each week of the season, and at the end of the year, whoever has the highest score wins. That simple. Just head to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or Google Play, Sign up with the promo code FANTASYPTS and you will get your first deposit doubled up to $100. And there's more. If you sign up using code FANTASYPTS at Underdog and you get a Fantasy Point standard subscription for just 5 bucks. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code FANTASYPTS. And remember, new Underdog users who sign up with our code get a Fantasy Point subscription for just 5 bucks. All right, Kyle, we did this in under 30 minutes. I consider this a success. Listen, I'm just glad you were willing to share the mic with me and let me spew (laughs) hot gas all over your podcast. So this was fun. I enjoyed it. And um, we'll have to get you over on uh, my show, Return the Favor here, and uh, talk some some offseason and some draft here coming up in the near future. Sounds good, brother. Let's do it real quick. Where can the people find you? At Grinding the Tape, right? At Grinding the Tape on Instagram, and on Twitter, uh, I have not taken the deep dive into TikTok or anything like that. But uh, <laughs> I think I feel like that that I'm a generation past that. So you probably will never see me on TikTok. But Instagram and Twitter, Same. at Ryan and the Tape. Uh, you can find me over at Locked On Fins uh, for Locked On Dolphins and uh, thedraftnetwork.com for all of my latest thoughts and opinions for the 2023 NFL Draft. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kyle. And for the listeners, we will be back every day this week. So we have three more episodes for you this week. And then we'll have a full calendar of five next week. Thank you so much for listening. We are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com. Fantasy Points.